Hello there, world. Welcome to episode 18 of the Modern Educator Podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend, Stephen Craig. How are you doing, Steve? I'm all right. Let's let's do it. Let's talk about education. So, Steve, why don't you go ahead and tell the world about your background as an educator? To start, what I have to be, I would say, community college. When the first time I kind of dropped out and failed out of college. But then from there... I got my undergrad and master's degree from Indiana University, Pennsylvania. And then from there, I taught three years elementary in Las Vegas and then moved back to Pennsylvania, taught three, four months at a high school. And now I'm currently teaching at a middle school. So you've run the whole gambit. You've seen the whole world of public education. Wow. I, that's, the, that's the beauty of health and phys ed. I'm certified K-12. Wow. Okay. And so so what were all the subjects you taught at those respective grade levels? Uh, elementary was just physical education, which is lovely because elementary kids don't know much. And so you get to teach them from the ground up. High school was just health education. And then now at middle school, I'm health and phys ed. Okay, and so what is your educational philosophy? Can we use can we use quotes from other people here? Yeah, go ahead. I think I think Les Brown said it. He said two things. One, it ain't over until it's over. Okay. And two, someone's opinion of you does not have to be your reality. The way I think of it and the way I look at it as an educator is I'm just I'm just a watering can. At this point in middle school, somebody else should have planted that seed. I'm just trying to help make sure you grow into a responsible adult. Hmm. I can feel like I tell my students all the time, my faults I learned in middle school. I want to correct those faults in other kids. So if I can be that, my I look at, at my education philosophy more of like a mentor. Yeah, I have to teach. But if I can get you in the right direction, my job is done. Now, do you keep following that path? I don't know. You go to high school, you lose contact with the kids. But for three years, I got you. I want my subject is secondary to growing a full adult. That's just the way I think about it. Of all three of the worlds you've lived in, elementary, middle school, high school, which one did you feel the most comfortable in? Which one was the most challenging? What would, what would you say? I felt the most comfortable at the elementary level. It was just my knowledge of movement is greater than my knowledge of health, if that makes sense. Hmm. Like I can look, I can look at a movement and break it down before I can tell you the correct definition of mitosis. <laughs> okay. So being able to look at a child and like teaching them how to throw, I can see where the mistakes are. Teaching you about mental health and um, that's hard for me. That's hard for anybody. But like mental health and it's like the basic health stuff, that's difficult. But other people would think movement is difficult. The I'd say the most challenging is honestly Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and I'm going to say middle school. Oh, okay. Your, <laughs> your current employment is your most challenging for you as an educator. Yes. Wow. Okay. I, I did not expect this to be your answer. Well, so that's why I said hindsight's always twenty twenty. The issues and problems I had at the high school level would have been solved with consistency. The hard part is... When you're working in certain areas, and this is why probably a lot of burnout, you take everything to heart. So at the high school, I'm looking at all these fights as like, there's my fault and what can I do wrong? Nothing to do with me, but you always feel like it's your fault that these kids are fighting. Yeah. I don't even know you, but like, how can I help you? So it gets tiring. And like those kids, they're seniors we can consider pretty much you're just about an adult. There's only so much I can take you, but I learned my role more as a mentor up there. 
after I left. Like talking to the kids, I was like, oh, we just missed talking to you. And I'm like, oh, whoops. But middle school, that's challenging because they still think that they're children, but the world is looking at them as an adult. And I'm like, you're not quite there yet, but you're not quite a child. So how are we going to make this work? And I think especially at the middle school level, because I, I only subbed at some middle schools, but half the class is like ready to be mature and half the class is still just silly and weird and wacky. Like, and it's, I think it's just such a strange time to try to bunch all those kids in the same room. And then you got to figure out how you're going to teach it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the whole thing, man. Like, how do you? You got these three reading at a 10th or 11th grade level. You got these three reading at a third and fourth grade level. I'm like, well, he can't do a push-up, but he can read in a psychopilia. What am I going to do? So, Steve, what are some of your greatest learning moments and some of your greatest failures in your career as a teacher? Mm. Every day is a failure. Oh. You can always improve. There's always something as an edge. I think of every day as a failure just because there's always that one moment or that one time you can improve on something or you could have did something differently to reach a child. And I mean, I get it. You're not going to reach every child every day. You got to consistently improve. Like th today, I'm rolling into a success. It was, it was a small success. Some kid spoke up for the first time in my class since I met the child. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you participated in class. But another kid was bashing soccer, and soccer is his sport. So I stood up there and defended soccer for 10 minutes, and then he went, and he raised his hand. I'm like, oh, what does he want? And he started answering the questions. I was like, oh. So because I wanted to bat for him in his sport, he felt comfortable enough to actually participate in the lesson which hasn't happened since we started. So I knew at that point, me defending his sport, he was like, I got, I like this guy. And I was like, oh, thank you. Wow. Well, and something that I utilize during this pandemic is, especially like with my two classes of freshmen, I knew that so many of them, well, obviously they've never met me. They've never even been in a high school, some of them. Uh, thankfully in both classes, I taught one of their older brothers or sisters the, the year before. And so I called out to these kids and I said, hey, get the older brother to come on camera and just tell the class that Mr. Brown is a good teacher, teaches a good <laughs> class, is, is, like a, is like a fun person. And I think that really broke a lot of the ice on that first day of school when somebody else vouched for me and sort of said, I'm a, I'm a fair educator. That's what... You know, I have some kids, like, because there's two health and phys ed there's two male and two female teachers in my building, and I've had kids come back to me the next year who don't have, I mean, like, yo, Mr. Craig, I'm trying to come back. Like, I knew you would. Listen, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to chill, have fun, teach us something, you learn something, we go home. Well, it doesn't have to be hard, but I don't know. But the start of the pandemic, it's hard. I, uh, this back to being a difficult, I'm a conversational teacher. I like to have conversation with kids and you can slip learning into a conversation easier than you can slip a conversation into a lecture. Mm. So not being able to like be a huddle up or not being able to be with the kids five days a week, it struggles for me because I'm like, I don't know how to teach you because we can't talk about it. You just got to sit there and listen to me. I like to have the kids ramble on so I can tell them where they make their mistakes. If that makes sense. Hmm. Well, and, and something that I do every day, and I guess I don't really do this during the pandemic. Maybe I now could that I've built some rapport with kids. But I always like to start my lessons with a big discussion where I just write some concepts on the board that are going to be loosely related to what we'll explore later but it'll sort of like give me some some material that i can utilize with the kids as i teach them the subject for example if i'm teaching a lesson on uh christopher columbus i'll write like has anyone been the victim of bullying some kids will always share some thoughts with the class and then i'll 
utilize their personal story to connect it to why it's important to learn about Columbus and other people in history. I do something similar to that, but I don't keep it content related. Like the other day, I used bacon is better than sausage. Prove me wrong. That's how I like, or it's something, something like I know they're into. One Punch Man is can beat Goku. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, he can. Let's be real. <laughs> so, like, I use things part of that conversational style. I know what the kids like. So I try to use what they like to bait them into my classroom. And then when I got them, I'm like, all right, now we're going to learn. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> something good. else I, I do that definitely emulates what you do is, Sometimes students will walk in and they'll be like drinking boba tea or something, okay? And like, honestly, I could just flip a coin that day in my head and I'll be like, I either love boba tea, it's the best thing ever, or I'll be like, I hate boba tea. Like, it's sort of like every single thing a student shows me they're into, I'm gonna have the most opposite-ended opinions on just to get that kid to vibe with me. Because either way, yeah kid'll be like Mr. Brown you're totally right and give me a high five or the kid'll get passionate and they'll defend this thing that they love um yeah. I mean I, I won't do it in a mean way if I'm anti but I'll just slide over and be like ah boba tea is trash and then that'll always uh get kids interested and engaged so I, I like to do that especially and I used to only do it with sports until I found out how many of my kids despise sports that's when I started branching off into other things like anime and comic books and video games. And then I have all the other teachers like, why do you talk about the kids of these things? I'm like, well, first of all, I still read comic books. Second of all, I still watch anime. Third, I grew up with video games. You can't stop me now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Hey, I mean, I've, I've always been a video game guy, so it's super easy for me to relate to him on that on that respect. Uh, all right, and Steve, do you have any unique classroom strategies? Try to think of the pre-COVID times for this question. I think what makes me unique and what's something that I do that I know that some teachers don't, I'm relation first, okay. content second. And no matter how many basics or below basics I get on observation, I will continue to always put relationship first because if I lost you, I can't teach you. Hmm. If you don't trust me, you won't learn from me. So in, it, let's imagine we're back in the traditional classroom. How, what percentage of your time would you commit to teaching the content and what percentage of the time would you commit to building relationships with students? Is it about 50-50? It depends on the flow. If they come in passionate about something that happened like on TV or like a current event, the relationship goes 75, teaching goes 25. Okay. But there's days where I'm like, hey guys, we really need to get through this. We can have the conversations later, maybe tomorrow, but I really need to get us past this point in the content. But I'd say on average, I'm probably 60-40 hmm. content okay. in relation, but it can change. And I, I would say that I'm maybe 20% relationships, 80% content. But I know my roommate, who's also a teacher, he, he doesn't put almost any weight into building relationships with kids. He just gives the content and he moves on. So he's, he's probably 100% content, 0% relationship. And me and him get a whole lot of debates and disputes over over the extent of which we should build a mentoring relationship with our students. I can see that. And I, I know people who are like that. My problem with that is maybe it's because it's middle school. I could walk in a room and I know a student is goofing off, but as soon as they see me, they stop. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> is it because they have that rapport with you? Is that why? Yeah, and, and I think so. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I mean, it's that, I built that relationship. Now, when they're in my room, it's like having, like, children. My children goof off with their parents or act a certain way with the parents and when they're not with the parents. 
Like I expect my children to behave in public, but when you're with me, if you're going crazy, all right, you you're going crazy, but you're at home. But you're not going to do that somewhere else. Same with my students. Like if you walk in my class, well, pre-COVID, some kids were on the windowsill, some kids were sitting on the floor, some kids were on the back, some kids were up front with me. But they were comfortable. I had kids with A's and B's and people thought, oh, you're just giving them a grade until I produce their work. And I'm like, no, like he's giving me quality work. I'm like, well, he doesn't do that in my room. And I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't like you. <laughs> yeah, right. And, <laughs> and that's, that's what I so often get from high school kids. Uh, it was, Mr. Brown, I'm failing math. And I'll say, why are you failing math? And they'll say, because the teacher doesn't like me. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? Like, the, the teacher has a negative relationship to you, therefore you're failing the subject? You know, like, I, and that's, that's almost always where it goes. And I'm like, well, maybe your teacher is difficult to, is not a, not a fantastic teacher. Maybe you're having some problems with the material. But kids chalk it up in their head as a relationship with the instructor. Yes. And I, I feel that that has to be some weight in what you do in the classroom every day. I, th I think it does. And I also think it depends on the, the room. If I have a bunch of A-plus students, well, if I have a bunch of people, no, a bunch of students who on paper are A-plus students, that, that classroom is going to look differently than a classroom with students on paper that are D students. Yeah, no doubt. And I say on paper because sometimes the grade does not match the individual because there's some type of trauma or there's a breakdown somewhere. And it one and one sometimes does not always make two, but that doesn't mean they're a bad kid because they have a D in my class. That just means they didn't do the work. And I think a lot of people compare grades with people, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I remember at Rancho, I had a kid who really wanted to sort of like create this, this attitude that he was a, uh, a, a hard street kid, you know, like I don't follow authority and all this. And uh, he told me that he chose not to do certain of my assignments because he did not want an A. He didn't want people to view him as a intelligent person on grades. He wanted to be in in this in this social circle that that wasn't academically successful. And I was just very confused by his whole argument. That makes me mad when I have that conversation with kids. Like, yeah. why do you want to look like you're dumb? <laughs> I'm like, why? why? Because they don't want to be considered as a part of the, the, the I don't know, smarter yeah. There's There's social pressures to keep them at certain levels from their peers. They don't want to be the, the nerd of the group. Yeah. I'm like, like, I like one you nerd now, boss later, to make, to make your choice. Yep. And, and you also <laughs> design some tech stuff, make a whole bunch of money, do it. Um, all right, let me move on to the next question, Steve. Uh, do you have any advice for a new educator entering the profession? I'd say my best advice would be to be patient and build relationships within your building with the staff. And when I say staff, I mean everybody, not just <laughs> teachers. The custodian, I'm telling you, a custodian can make or break your day. The office staff can make or break your day because um, they're always the first ones to catch a mistake. <laughs> and they'll let it know when they catch that mistake. But new to you, patience. You got to understand that you're working with children. Their emotions change from day to day. Your emotions change from day to day. True. And... What worked yesterday might not work today. I'd say if I had to look at somebody tomorrow and say, I know this is your first day, just try to have some fun. If it ain't fun, why are you doing it? 
That's yeah. just my opinion. My rough days, my horrible days are fun. Because there's always something fun to talk about, something fun to do. Yeah, and and uh, I'll, I'll expand on something you mentioned earlier, too. You said that not ev like every day there's some element of a mistake you made. And I, I do that plenty of times when I'm driving home from school. I, I won't think about the 130 kids I made laugh and made learn something. I'll think about the one kid who was actively not listening to me the whole day. And I'll be like, dang it, like, what, what can I do to make this kid pay attention to me uh, tomorrow? Um, and, uh, and, and also, like you're saying, uh, show a lot of love to the support staff. Uh, I make sure to always know, like, who the main custodians are. Give, yeah. them, give them a hello all the time because they're, they're the best allies you could ever have, no doubt. The, the, other, the other advice I give a new person is get to know the paraprofessionals. Mm. They can also make. I can't tell you how many times I forgot something. Our professional, a paraprofessional, somebody like, "Hey, Mr. Craig, did you leave us on the copier?" And I'm like, "Well, yes, I did. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> nice helping you out. And then uh, I, I think you were mentioning earlier that some teachers who are really struggling in this online learning environment seem to be like the teachers that don't have the professional network to rely on. Yeah. I'd say when we first went out in the spring, as a team, we collaborated and made something work. And then when we came back, when you get lovely direction from upper admin that is so clear and concise, I'm joking, but... <laughs> <laughs> When you have to try to make something work and you have no clue how to work it, that's where collaboration comes in. And you can tell the people that did not collaborate with people and you can tell the people who like, all right, we're, we are going to do this. It's not you. It's not me. It, this is us. This is our subject. Let's make it work. But not everybody has that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't have collaboration for my AP classes in my site, but I do have collaboration at other schools. So I do meet with other teachers once a month. And I mean, it's we more or less share ideas. Just about everything that I do is stuff that I've made. But I, I do like to see what other people do. And there's been plenty of times they've shared websites and resources with me. So it's it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, we, we collaborate with other teachers in our district, but every building is different. So what works for somebody on one side of the district is not going to work with us. I think the kids have different needs and that part of the building, the conversation and the relations, we are better in tune than what we feel like our kids need than the ones to sit the curriculum and yeah. sit the rules. And, and you saying that something works today won't work tomorrow. Heck, that's even true within some of my classes themselves. Like I, I have these simulation games and uh, I've already done a couple of them during this online learning too. And I know like my third period class just loved my simulation game. Like every kid was involved. They wrote these stories about the countries they created. They were like, it was, they, they were so, so into it. It was the best online learning they Next question, Steve. What is the best lesson you've ever done? The best lesson. I have two. One, my first, I say my best lesson was my elementary throwing and catching lesson. Okay. I'm just, now when I say lesson, it was more than one day. Because we all know lessons can sometimes last a week. <laughs> But um, watching a group of, I think it was third graders going from not being able to like throw a ball to being and catching to being able to play catch for 30 minutes without it being frustrating or like kids dropping the ball, or, like getting angry with each other. 
just casually playing catch. Because you would think that's something everybody does growing up, but it's not. So watching the development of that, I was like, oh, I did do my job. <laughs> because you saw a lot of kids improve their throwing arms and do it in the correct form and all that stuff. Yeah. Just watching the development of that happening. I was like, I'm in the right place. Nice. I'd say middle school, high school. I didn't have a good lesson in high school. Okay. <laughs> I'd say my other good good lesson was middle school. I did a I did a gallery walk and watching them progress through and it was mental health. Watching them progress through the gallery walk. And I'm just like, wow. I think uh, this is the best connection I got with this group. And all I had to say was the directions. Mm. Because they became the experts. And they taught each other. And nice. I don't think people... I can say... So I can teach some one way till my face is blue and they not and they don't understand but then the one kid goes blah 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 and they get it i'm like well that's not fair <laughs> but sometimes it you say things in ways kids don't understand but the one who does can flip the words into where his buddy will understand yeah it's it's sort of like this teaching to the kids in their language so to say i can't use their language <laughs> we get fired <laughs> okay anyway final standard question for you steve are there any educational concepts that you champion or disagree with i'm talking about direct instruction group work station activities flipped classroom some of these sort of big educational theories to change the way you present curriculum in your classroom? To answer that question, I have to go back to a quote I got in college from my professor. He said, the best physical education is adapted physical education. That's been my approach to every classroom I stepped foot in. So is it 100% one thing? I can't. There are times where direct instruction is what you need. But there are times where direct instruction is the complete opposite of what you need to get the content through. I one thing I hate only because it was flipped, well not flipped, but it was forced upon us was a flipped classroom. This is my what, six year teaching and then I, all of a sudden I have to flip my classroom. You might as well ask me to take apart an engine because I'm gonna look at you like this is a foreign topic. But I only hate it because it was foreign. And most of the like proven, diehard, this is how you teach classroom, people, especially teachers, are creatures of habit. And when you ask to change the plan, that is the worst thing you can do to a teacher. No doubt. <laughs> say that from a mountaintop. And then when you say, well, it's a fluid situation. You just dug that six foot grave 20 feet because then you're like, all right, well, this can change tomorrow. Yeah. How am I supposed to teach when something can change tomorrow? I know it's not gonna happen, but I think here in Las Vegas, they could say, go back to school next week. You know, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know how long ahead I'm supposed to plan online teaching. I think it's pretty fair to say that we're going to stay online until at least November 1st. And we've got at least still two more weeks of this 10% chance we'll go back. But like, like, I don't know, in PA, have they given you any sort of directive of the chances of you going back into the classroom? Well, well, Corey, that is a good, Mr. Brown, that is a good question because I think you're in a particular situation that is different than I am because Clark County is one school district. Pennsylvania, this is going to sound like an off number, but I want to say it feels like it's up towards 100 plus districts. Wow. 
from my house, I'm within six minutes of six or seven different school districts. Jeez. We're hybrid. So I have group A, group B, and then my online group. I see group A two days. I see group B two days in building. And then I have my online class and then everybody's online Fridays. My wife's district is all virtual learning. So it depends on which district you're in. We're supposed to go back to full instruction. Number second, we're supposed to go back into five days. Well, and what are your general thoughts with hybrid learning? It shows you the has and has nots. Mm. In my building, my building is, it's, it's crazy because you have the more affluent kids who have everything and then you have the kids who have nothing. And when you get thrown into this situation, it's clear that there's a lot of kids with and it's clear there's a lot of kids without. And there's... There's no meaning in the middle when you have half your group that has access to the internet and then half your group that you don't know if they have power. People go, well, they have cell phones. It's like, well, a lot of these kids use our Wi-Fi to use their phone, and when they go home, they don't have a phone. Mm. Or you see in a lot of the next argument was, well, the cable companies are giving reduced or free internet, but then who's going to pay for the rental of the equipment? Because, yeah, it's free internet, but you still, someone's got to pay for that router. It's not, the equipment's not free. The service might be for the time being, but there's still other fees that might not be able to afford. But you don't know that until you start talking. You're, you're just a bad, deep wisdom. And, and, you know, b before we actually deep dive too much further into the world of, of COVID, I'd like to share the story of how we met with, with the world <laughs> at large. Because this is, this is just a great, a great story. So there I was. It was my second year of teaching here in CCSD. And if you're a, a first or second year teacher, you have to do these, like, 40 hours of after-school professional development classes I, I obviously eventually did them all. I'll say that 90% of them were a complete waste of my time. They were just so <laughs> annoying and so boring and such a such a hassle. And like I I had lessons to write, I had work to grade. I wanted to just go home and relax, but it was like, oh man, I gotta go to another one of these stupid uh, professional developments that I'm not gonna learn anything at. So I go to this one at some high school on the uh, east side of Las Vegas, I get in there and I'm just in a bad mood. You know, I'm just like, man, this is like, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I don't care. And I sit down at this table and I'm just, I'm just like so done. I'm so overwhelmed. And then this smiling, beautiful African-American man walks in and he sits next to me. And he's just got this huge smile on his face. Like he's just living on living on easy street and all this. And then he says in this in this wonderful Pennsylvanian accent, Oh, did you get the packet? Let me get one for you. And I just looked and I was like, he's so nice. He's so nice. And yeah, that whole meeting, I don't even remember what the heck that meeting was about. It was like, I don't know, teaching English language learners or something. But I was like, this guy's so cool. I want to, you know, get his number, hang out with him, get to know him. And through you, Steve, uh, we did hang out a bunch of times. And you, you introduced came to me. my birthday party. That I, week. I came to your birthday that same week. That was your birthday? Yeah, that was, you came out that week. Oh, wow. So wait, I, look, I met you on a Tuesday and you invited me to your birthday on like a Friday or something. Yeah. Oh, see, you're you just the up. nicest freaking dude. Heck yeah, I showed up. Steve, at that point, I only had like maybe five honest-to-God friends in Las Vegas. And through you, I met my future roommate, Blair Richards, and I met the, the guy who's probably one of my best friends right now, Chris Perry. You were this- also from Pennsylvania. They're both from Pennsylvania. I know. All these PA people keep hanging <laughs> out with me. Your kindness 
opened up a, a whole social network for me. I just want to express my incredible thankfulness <laughs> for your nice attitude and for you being such a friendly, cool guy. I didn't do nothing special. That was just how I was raised. Well, you're 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 a top tier dude. I just wanted to let the whole world know that on my podcast. And uh, and yeah, I think uh, I think it just shows that you you got to have other teacher friends. You got to you're you're all in this together. I, you know, I forgot I forgot how that happened. And it's funny because I met Blair in a similar manner. Nice. We were at a new teacher thing. My wife hates it. I'll talk to I'll talk to random people in the elevator. Eventually, someone's going to talk back. <laughs> but no, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't like silence. But <laughs> I'll, I will talk to somebody until somebody talks back, and she hates it. I do in elevators all the time. Maybe it's Bye. a form of social anxiety, or maybe I just like to talk. I can't, well, like in my building now, if you need something right away, you have to go get it. Because if you send me, I'm going to come back in 30 minutes because I've had 12 conversations from point A to point B. Just a friendly dude, man. That's great. All the power to you, Steve. It's it's a blessing and a curse. But no, I keep forgetting that that's how, I remember that's how we met. And then the whole the full unfolding of the paper after that. And it's funny because at that time, Chris was probably my only friend in Las Vegas because when I moved there, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody here either. So yeah, but, it was a similar situation. And then it just led from one thing led to another. And then I like eventually met some non-teacher friends because you need some non-teacher friends. You do. And I, I met those people through the board game world here in Las Vegas. But like that's just, I think if people like putting education aside. People forget to be happy. If that makes sense, like you woke up that morning. All right, you might have had a bad day, but you woke up that morning. You know how many people did not wake up that morning? I don't know if I was having a bad day. I was just. Like, well, not that day in general. I'm just saying, like, people just forget that, like, like I tell my kids, and they're like, yo, Mr. Craig, like, we don't often see you irritated. And I look at them and say, I'm probably irritated almost every day. But it's not my job to make you irritated. My job is trying to distract you from what's going on in the outside world just long enough to where I can teach you something. Mm, okay, I, I relate to that. And and when I'm in the classroom, and also when I'm in a online world now in COVID, it's sort of like I'm on stage and I'm an actor yeah. and I'm really engaging and really entertaining you. And after you do that for six hours, you're just you're just physically drained. Yeah, and and that's, that's how I felt that day we met. I was just like. I can't. I can't do this today. <laughs> I need to lie down. <laughs> but oh. no, it's like I think of it when I like started cutting like lawns for like people and stuff growing up. I my dad always told me you walk in the room or at the yard, take a picture, and don't leave until it looks like you were there. Okay, and that just turned into the way I do things. Like all right, this room. I'm gonna let everybody know I'm here. It's also a blessing and a curse because you walk in a room and people know you. But you have some people when you walk in a room like, oh man, he's here. What's he gonna say this time? No, you gotta I sometimes I feel like I was born in the wrong air and like peace, love, and happiness. Is what there is no difference between the way you look in the way I look. Well, there shouldn't be a difference. I, I don't care. As long as you treat me with respect, I'm going to treat you with respect. That's good, man. People forget that. Why should I? Well, I'm not entitled to make your day worse. And that's why I like, approach my students. I could be having a bad day. You can be living on cloud nine. It's not my job to break you down. 
I'm an educator. It's my job to build you up. Does do I have to put on a show? Especially in COVID season, it's always a show. Yep. <laughs> but that's if that's what I have to do to make sure your future is intact, then guess what? That's what I have to do. But yes, it is tiring. I guess for the rest of the podcast, I just sort of like to talk about more of your current experiences with COVID. And, and actually, I, before we deep dive into COVID, um, I know that you taught elementary here in Las Vegas, and now you're teaching the higher levels back in PA. Can you comment on sort of just the the, the structural differences between education in Vegas versus PA? See, I can't speak for elementary here because I've never done it. But as far as the structure of the school district, Clark County is large. Yeah. And when you're in a large district, things get put out broad and then your building has to interpret it okay and it looks different in each building as it should because each building has its own needs now where i'm at now it's obviously not as large as clark county but we have two high schools more than 10 elementary schools and four middle schools. So I'm in a rather large, and like we go from rural to city. Mm. That's how our district is. I'd say funding is always low, unless you're in a nice area. Then you somehow have magical funding no other school has, even though we were one district. I don't know why you got that, and like we got this. I don't know. I would never know how that works. That's politics. But no matter the schools I taught in, it's always been the relationships that made the difference. Even in staff. Like I've worked for admin who like I've absolutely adored and respected. And like when they said and they spoke, I'm like, yes, full attention on my administrator. And I've also worked for admin when they spoke. It's like are you done? <laughs> but I, education is education. And I think the biggest, to me, I think the biggest difference is it's like a business location, location, location. Your location matters. And the jobs that everybody wants, well, no, I lied. The job everybody thinks they want might not be the correct place. Like I talk to people all the time, like, I hate my job. I can't stand this. I can't stand that. I can't stand this. And I'll complain. And then they go, well, you're there for a reason. Let me relate to things you just said, that you're sort of always in a place for a reason and every place maybe has its own problems. Like, I did four years at an inner city high school here in Vegas, and now I'm in my second year at a suburban school on the outskirts of Vegas. I had it in my head that somehow this suburban school on the outskirts of town would solve every problem that I faced in the inner city. Yet, like, I mean, I would just say that there are different things I'm concerned with now. And maybe if I sort of balanced it all out, maybe maybe teaching on the, the outskirts is a, a slightly better place for me, but it's not by a large margin. I expected I would be in a paradise situation of educational bliss, but problems remain, Steve. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know if there ever will be a perfect school for you to teach at. The way I describe, like to me, I'm, I'm at, I get, I'm frustrated almost every day. I'm, at, I'm at my perfect school for right now. I have a good, I've not a good. I have a great team. There's four of us that are like always collaborating, 
collaborating, collaborating. We're working to build the program together. But like my elementary school in Vegas, I never, <clears throat> if you would have talked to me that first and second year, I would have never have thought that two years later I'd be teaching in Pennsylvania because like Tamiyasu Elementary School was like, in the kids' term, it was lit. Like that, that staff, we were all student first and we all just wanted to have a good time and teach the kids. Nice. So like we always approached every day as a fun day. Like how can we have fun today? But, and I think you got to teach is like, well, you can't have fun and be a teacher. And I'm like, well, wait, wait a second. Why can't I have fun? Why can't the kids have fun? You can still learn and still be enjoying something. Like, but that's just the way I think of it. That's my personal philosophy. But maybe because I'm a phys ed guy and yeah. that is play first so i turn health into play first no and i i definitely like that mentality of create a game a play atmosphere and trick the kids into learning something i like when i'm most I, my kids now know exactly how to get me on a tangent once i realize i'm on a tangent i go all right how can i trick like how can i get them to learn something from my tangent and then i'll go and i'll talk because like they're like interested because i'm not talking about the content and oh, then I'll, no. I'll keep going and then i'll stop and go you see what i did there and the look on their faces are like oh my goodness he just threw that lesson at us and we weren't even ready for it <laughs> yeah well it, it, you know let me let me throw this in there for you so i remember there was this time when i was teaching history at rancho high school and i was teaching the history of henry the eighth who was this very very overweight guy who uh married all these women and when he didn't like him anymore he had him killed and so when i was telling that story i related it to this really really fat kid i knew in high school <laughs> who somehow dated all these beautiful women and i was like i don't understand it and so then i i overheard the the next day one uh student who was absent comes into that same class period and is like uh hey roger what did what did i miss out on in this class yesterday and roger's like oh mr brown told us stories about this fat kid in high school who got all these <laughs> girls and i was like that's not what the lesson was about <laughs> like but that's that's what the kid remembered so I just, I think that's really funny. Um, and, and I just cross my fingers and hope that that story in his head connects to the concept of King Henry VIII and killing his wives and stuff like that, so. It's weird the things kids remember. Yeah, no doubt. I'm probably gonna sound random because we're talking about how things remember. I re When I realized that my biggest one of my biggest issues especially in this digital learning is the reading ability of some students and i'm like wow i found the problem and i have no clue how to fix it <laughs> yeah no no doubt there are some kids with some atrocious reading skills this is and they're like they're not doing the work blah 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 and i'm like they can't read <laughs> And, you, and I, I laugh about it because I don't have a solution. Yeah. And it, it, but that's one thing that's been bugging me since this whole thing started is you want me, you want these kids to, to learn. And we say like, oh, they want us to do it for them. And a lot of kids, there are kids who try to work the system, but there are some kids that literally don't know the language you're using, yeah. but you're speaking the same language. And and the thing is, so much of the English language learner stuff that we learn in our teacher professional developments really focuses on the immigrant experience. But let me tell you, Steve, I have met some straight up America white kids that they've just fallen through the cracks their entire educational career. And yeah. they, they don't, you know, it's not listed English language learner on any of their stuff. It's just 
the system has failed them. I don't, I don't know when you learn how to read. I'm assuming what kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. They just um, never got it. You know what it is? It was that whole no child left behind. Yep. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I'm a product of a mix of no child left behind and the product of you better get your butt in the gear if you want to live a better life. I didn't learn how, and I told I told my kids this because, like, when I'm looking at a group of kids who half the world probably already wrote them off as failures because they might have made one mistake in elementary school, I was like, you know what? I'm keeping honest with these kids. I didn't learn how to write until I was in college. I think so many people confused my ability to speak with me being like highly intelligent. No, I had a teacher in senior year who said, Stephen, you cannot write, learn how to speak. I'm like, okay. And it didn't hit me until I was in grad school where I ran into this problem again where I had a professor who wanted to throw me out of class after reading a paper. She wrote, she read my paper and she called me into the office. And then when I opened the door and walked in, she had this look and she wasn't expecting to see me walk through the door. Well, because, because you're so good at speaking, but so terrible at writing. Yeah, because when I would, I'd present, I was a graduate assistant. She goes, I can't believe this paper came from you. And I explained to her, I'm like, well, I'm in grad school. Yes, I'm in, I'm in grad school. At this point, I was a graduate assistant, but all my friends graduated. So I didn't have anybody to look at my papers. The Anything I turned in in undergrad, one or two of my friends looked at. Yep. And I think... What was it? I don't remember what year it was. I'll drop another name. It was my roommate, Matt Antonich. He taught me how to write in college. You want to know something's kind of sad. Like, I, I, my writing skills improved in college. I think they honestly got a whole lot better when I taught writing in South Korea. My final thing I had to do at UC Santa Barbara for my history degree was I wrote a 50-page paper on a research subject of my choosing. And I wrote it about the Korean War. And when I had, you know, kind of the rough drafts going through, uh, my professor encouraged me to call some of my peers who I knew were good at writing. And uh, I'm going to name drop Jackie Tolson, now Jackie Williams. Uh, she was a freshman. See, I was a senior. She was a freshman. And I knew she was smart, like top tier writer, all this. And I, I was like, you know, Jackie, like, will you will you read my paper? I'll like, you know, buy you dinner or something. And uh, she edited the heck out of it. And <laughs> I turned in that paper. I don't know if I ever told Jackie this, but I won a $500 scholarship off that paper. <laughs> so, so all the credit to her. Praise, praise no. Jackie Williams. But yeah, I think I, I was one of those kids that got caught. And then middle school, high school, it was, well, he'll get it next year. And then as well, he plays football. He's a wrestler. It's just because he's just a run-of-the-mill athlete. And I love when I'm like when I'm back in Pittsburgh and I'm walking around, like I'll run into old teachers and I'm like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, <laughs> I do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait. And I'm like, you heard like, yeah, I'm a teacher. And like, you're a teacher? And I'm like, yes, I am. People, people change. People improve. Yep. But I guarantee you half my middle school teachers probably thought I'd be like at a run-of-the-mill job trying to make ends meet in a day-to-day -day paycheck lifestyle. I mean, most of us are day-to-day -day because we don't get paid like athletes and celebrities, but they had to go to school but we don't get that kind of paycheck, even though they would not be there without an educator or a coach. True. But that's 
that's a story for another day. I mean, <laughs> look, I know we don't make big money, but I'm I'm happy with the deal. Okay. Would I like more money? Sure. Do I deserve more money? Sure. But when it comes down to it, I could quit this profession if I if it really came down to it. Um, I've started my own business before. I could do it again. I could go to another country. I've already done that. I could do that again. But yeah. I'm I'm all right where I'm at. I I tell the kids I like my I like money to satisfy my government needs. I don't need the amount of money that I'm out there buying a sets of things. Like I just. I sent you a message on how I feel. Do you have your phone on you? Yeah. If you look at the picture I sent you, that's how I feel about life. Okay, let me, let me describe this to the listeners. Okay, this is a Bob Marley meme. Uh, Not a meme. Excerpts oh, from an interview. All right, excerpts from an interview. So an interview with Bob Marley. Are you a rich man? And Bob Marley responds, when you say rich, what do you mean? Do you have a lot of possessions? Do you have a lot of money in the bank? Possessions make you rich? I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life forever. Mm. Boom. Deep. Deep thoughts with Mr. <laughs> Craig, everybody. Don't don't let the the smile fool you. I started out as a philosophy major. Oh. <laughs> Anything else you want to say in the world of of education in your life right now? I'd say don't forget why you started. It's not. It's not a. It's like when you said. It's not a. It's not a typical job. It's not a nine to five. You bring the things home. Like you know how many days like I sit, and like I go from like playing my PlayStation to my Switch, to my phone, <clears throat> to watch TV, and just go like, man. I have a student out there that didn't eat dinner tonight. <clears throat> it's things like that. It like it all of a sudden just hits you and you're just like, yeah. ooh. And then you have people, the non-educators are like, well, like it's just work. But when you're working with children, it's not just work. And and, and maybe what, what other people don't understand is like when I'm there in the classroom, I I have an inner duty that to those kids to create the best material possible, to create the best lessons possible, the most engaging possible. There have been times when I didn't have a lesson really prepared and I just stole something from another teacher and tried to present it as my own, but it was so unauthentic that mm -hmm. I noticed I was losing kids' attention left and right. I hold myself to this really high standard of I need to present material that I am excited about and that I can embody that excitement and use that to engage the students in my classroom. It goes down to building relationships. Yep. And I think most people, and I, I know when people think or hear the term relationships, relationships with teenagers, they, <laughs> they think they people i don't know if it's just our society or just our mindset when you say relations they automatically connect it to a romantic relations romantic you know what i'm trying to say I romantic know relation to say. with somebody but like teenage girls they they don't uh, I'm, I'm, anybody so people, who looks at them in a romantic way is a disgusting human being okay but no, I think I do. I truly think that when people hear the term relationship, that's where their mind goes. Yeah. Well, and, and let me let me add this. I'm sure we're, we'll discuss this now, too. It's uh, every year at CCSD, we have these like 13 training videos we have to watch at the beginning of the year. One of those training videos came out after there was this one year where like 10 teachers around the district had romantic relations with their students. You know, all 10 of those teachers got convicted as pedophiles. They're all trash human beings get rid of them but because there was so many we had this training video and the training video basically told us don't get to know your kids don't 
show any kind of relationship building with your kids, send them to their counselors, talk to their parents. Nobody's and, gonna learn from somebody they don't trust. Right? And there's a difference between learning and trust and learning and respect. When I focused on having the kids respect me, I had a lot of behavior, and I still have a lot of behavior problems. But now my focus is on getting the kids to trust me, and I don't have as many problems. Now, they don't always do the work, but they're not running around the classroom acting a fool either. So there's some, there's some give and take. And I think it was me learning the difference between trust and respect. Because when you say, like, I'm the teacher, you have to respect me, ultimately, no, they don't. They're a tiny human being with a tiny mind and think they know everything. Okay, now we sit the ground that you don't respect me. So <clears throat> if I know you don't respect me, you ultimately think I'm not going to respect you. So when I break it down to the kids, I'm like, hey, like, I don't, I don't appreciate that especially when I didn't do anything to you to warrant that behavior. <clears throat> All I did was ask you to sit down and get some work done. I didn't tell you where you had to sit down. And in fact, I was like, I didn't even, I didn't even tell you. I asked you, can you sit down and get some work done? And then they stop and then they think like, oh, yeah, you're right. You didn't tell me to do anything. You did ask me to do something. I'm like, because you are a human being with human being needs. And right now I'm distracting you and keeping you doing from what you want to do. And then I pull them inside and go, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> I didn't want to say it in front of the whole class. Because a lot of times behavior problems because they don't understand. Yeah. And what are they going to do? They're going to lash out. But every situation is different. I'm sure once somebody finds out that I spend a lot of time to get to know my students, they're going to be like, oh, you need to do more lecturing. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. I'll lecture, okay. I'll tell you I'm going to lecture more. I do a fair amount of lecturing, but every time I'm doing a lecture, I'm always like engaging with the students directly. I'm putting in little little side jokes. I'm using that information I learned at the beginning of class, engaging with their interests. I think that's that's the way you make it meaningful to them. I like, I, that's why I like getting to know the kids because towards the end of the year, maybe I do more lecturing at the beginning of the year because I don't know the kids. But once you get to know the students, you can gear your content in a manner in which their interests are 100% involved. And like when you start doing projects and like looking at stuff, you start incorporating like their favorite things and you get a better result as opposed to this is the content, you're the student. I'm the teacher. Like I had a conversation today with a kid and I don't think they knew how to answer it. You wanna know what the question was? What? Why are you in school? Oh, wow. Okay. They're just they're just acting up and I just I had enough. And I think typically a teacher reaction would to be like raise their voice. Get and so angry try to directly correct the child. I calmly sat down and asked, why are you in school? And blank stare. Well, we're here to we're here to learn. Okay, well if you're here to learn, why are you doing everything in your power to inhibit to break down the classroom? Or is there something you're not understanding? Then the bell rang. I was like, ah, oh, Adam. <laughs> but no but like when i asked why they're in school they just looked at me like nobody has ever asked them that question before but you know what if i had a teacher ask me that question in middle school 
I probably would have had a better result. Yeah, I would have said because my parents make me. But then again, yeah. it's society makes you actually, especially when you're in middle school. But like, and I and I tell all the time, I'll start my lecture when I go and like actually when I'm actually teaching, because being health and phys ed, we get to we get to talk about the fun stuff, and they can't wait to get to the the fun stuff when they get to say things. Can I can I use can I say a genitalia on the podcast? I guess. Like I you, mean, you can, teach health, right? So you've got to kind of evaluate the level of excitement when they get to say things like penis and like other things in that in the genitalia world. I'm like, hey guys, if this is if you want to talk about this, we need to get past this stuff first <laughs> because they just want to say it. They want to say it in school. Oh um, gosh. <laughs> Oh my God, oh. you do realize you can't do this in any other class, right? They're like, we know. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's when you remember you're in the middle school. And I teach all boys, too. So uh, we're the only school that still has them separated for health and phys ed class, which is also nice because when you do get to teach the, and I do have to teach those touchy subjects, I get to teach it to all boys. Okay. So there's which, not, not the same amount of awkwardness then. Uh, don't it's still awkward. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking to children about content I don't want to talk with my own parents about. <laughs> but no, like, but there's a certain level of trust you have to get to that point. I mean, yeah, you have to send out the letter going home, like, I'm going to talk about this. Do you want your child to sit in the class with me when I talk about this? Yes or no? And most of the parents check yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just got to cover that material. And then random teachers walk by and they hear you saying things. They're like, what's going on in there? I'm like, ah, it's the reproductive unit. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah. But eighth graders, they're, cu they're curious about that stuff. I can't. I don't want to sit here and be like, "Oh, these kids don't know this, or they don't know that." No, they do. If you walk into the wrong conversation at the wrong time, it's clear that they do. So, can we teach them how to make sense of this before they do something dumb? Hey, good, good, good thoughts. All <laughs> right, well, I think I'm gonna call it there. Thanks for being on the podcast. And if you have any questions for. Uh, me or want to be a guest in the future, send me an email at vegasmoderneducator at gmail.com. Thanks a lot.